Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Ring of Truth with our pastor and teacher, Dan Sexton, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel, Ellicott City. Please join Pastor Dan as he teaches through God's Word. They've abandoned the Lord. They have no fear of the Lord. Now they're looking to the nations around them. They're looking for political alliances and military alliances to protect them. They're looking to Egypt. They're looking to Assyria. Notice at the end of verse 19, the Lord is described as the Lord God of hosts, the Lord God of armies. Here they're looking to the Egyptian army to save them or the Assyrian army to help them. And God says, I'm the Lord God of armies, (laughs) but you're not looking to me. The people of Israel were promised a life of blessing and abundance if they followed God's will for them. However, they strayed away in sin and turned from God to look for strength in the armies of the nations around them. Pastor Dan will be with you in Jeremiah today to encourage you with the life of this prophet. Jeremiah heard God's voice and did what he was called to do, to tell the people of Israel about the judgment that was coming, since they didn't heed the previous warnings of Isaiah. Now, here's Pastor Dan in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 2, for today's edition of Ring of Truth. You know, the Lord set Israel free from their slavery in Egypt, but now they have exchanged that freedom that they've been given by God for bondage under idolatry. And again, just like people today, we have freedom in Christ. Christ has set us free from sin. But then you have some people that choose to put themselves back into the bondage of sin make themselves slaves of sin again. We've been set free. The young lions roared at him and growled. They made his land waste. His cities are burned without inhabitant. Also, the people of Naf and Tapanese, those are places in Egypt, have broken the crown of your head. Have you not brought this on yourself in that you have forsaken the Lord your God when he led you in the way? They brought this on themselves. All of this destruction that has happened to their nation, they brought it on themselves when they forsook the Lord who delivered them. So Judah, if you think about it, the kingdom of Judah, they're uh, suffering economic trouble, political trouble, military trouble, and they brought it all on themselves by forsaking the Lord. It was a spiritual issue in the nation. It wasn't really an economic issue. It wasn't really a political issue. And it wasn't really a military issue. The problem was spiritual. It played out in the nation economically, militarily, and politically. But the problems were spiritual. You know, just a couple Psalms for you to consider. Um, Psalm 33, verse 12. It says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord the people he has chosen as his own inheritance. Blessed is the nation whose God is Jehovah. It also says in the Psalms, kind of the other side of the coin for that one, um, in Psalm uh, 9, verse 17, the wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget their God. All the nations that forget their God will be turned into hell. 
But blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And the nation that forgets its God be turned into hell. And here what the Lord says to Judah is, hey, you've got all these things happening in your nation and to your nation. And it is because you have forsaken me. You've turned away from me. You've abandoned me. You've brought this on yourself. And now, verse 18, why take the road to Egypt to drink the waters of Sihor? Why take the road to Assyria to drink the waters of the river, the Euphrates River? And what was happening at this time is Judah would uh, look to Egypt for help against Assyria. And then at times they would look to Assyria for help against Egypt. And so they kind of went back and forth between Egypt and Assyria Instead of looking to the Lord, and the Lord says, your own wickedness will correct you. Your backslidings will rebuke you. Know, therefore, and see that it is an evil and bitter thing that you have forsaken the Lord your God, and the fear of me is not in you, says the Lord God of hosts. They've abandoned the Lord. They have no fear of the Lord. Now they're looking to the nations around them. They're looking for political alliances and military alliances to protect them. They're looking to Egypt. They're looking to Assyria. Notice at the end of verse 19, the Lord is described as the Lord God of hosts, the Lord God of armies. Here, they're looking to the Egyptian army to save them or the Assyrian army to help them. And God says, I'm the Lord God of armies, (laughs) but you're not looking to me. For of old, I have broken your yoke and burst your bonds. And you said, I will not transgress. Verse 20. God delivered Israel from her slavery, and even so Israel has refused to serve the Lord. When on every high hill and under every green tree you lay down playing the harlot, this is where they would worship idols, their idolatrous practices. They would do in groves and in forests and on hills. Verse 21, yet I had planted you a noble vine, a seed of highest quality, How then have you turned before me into the degenerate plant of as an alien vine? And here now the Lord compares Israel to a vine and a vineyard. He's he's using things, illustrations that were very familiar to people in those days, whether that's, you know, a cistern and living water and vines and vineyards and shepherds and sheep. And these are all things that were just, you know, right out of their culture that they would understand the illustration. Here he calls them a vine, and he says in this description in verse 21, I planted you as a noble vine. You were of the highest quality seed, but somehow you have produced this degenerative fruit for me. Now, uh, turn with me back to Isaiah. Isaiah is just the previous book, right before Jeremiah. Isaiah chapter 5. Isaiah chapter 5, just right before Jeremiah, the Lord uses a similar illustration through the prophet Isaiah. Here in chapter 5, he says, um, verse 1, Now let me sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved regarding his vineyard. My well-beloved has a vineyard on a very fruitful hill. He dug it up and cleared out its stones And planted it with the choicest vine. He built a tower in its midst and also made a wine press in it. So he expected it to bring forth good grapes, but it brought forth wild grapes. 
And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, please, between me and my vineyard. Look what he says. What more could have been done to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Why then, when I expected it to bring forth good grapes, did it bring forth wild grapes? So here the Lord says, what else could I have done for Israel, for my people, to make them fruitful? And the answer is nothing. He did everything that he could do to make them fruitful. The issue was not on God's side. The issue is with Israel and with their hearts towards God. So go back to Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 22. For though you wash yourself with lye and use much soap, yet your iniquity is marked before me, says the Lord God. He says you wash yourself, but you're not washing away your sin. You know, there's nothing that we can do in our own power or ability to remove our sin. You know, there's no amount of good deeds or good works that we can do to remove the stain of sin. The only thing that removes the stain of sin is the blood of Jesus Christ. You know, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. That's the only thing that can wash away our sin. And here they're, they're trying, they're trying to cover it up uh, by washing, but it's, it's not working. Verse 23, how can you say, I am not polluted? I've not gone after the Baals. <laughs> what was happening in Judah at this time is, Idolatry had become so pervasive in the land and so accepted in the land of Judah uh, that, that they were able to not to deny any wrongdoing. The people and the culture no longer saw it as wrong. Imagine that. <laughs> Imagine living in a culture where sin has just become so normalized and accepted that it's no longer viewed as wrong, where the people are now saying, well, How can you say I'm polluted? I'm not polluted. How can you say I've done something wrong? And look what God says in response in verse 23. He says, see your way in the valley. Know what you have done. He says, see your way in the valley. He says, go look in the valley. We haven't done anything wrong. We haven't polluted. We haven't defiled. And God says, well, go look in the valley. And he's talking about the valley of Hinnom or the valley of Gehenna which is there just outside the wall of Jerusalem. It was there in the valley of Hinnom that they worshipped Baal and that they worshipped Molech. And the way that they worshipped Baal and Molech was through sacrificing children. And they sacrificed them there in the valley of Hinnom, the valley of Gehenna. By Jesus' day, that area was so defiled that they just made it kind of the city dump where people would dump their trash And they would just have a fire that was burning there continually. That's why Jesus, when he describes hell, he uses the word Gehenna to describe the fires of hell where the fire is never quenched. Because everybody knows that picture because that is the fire down in the valley of Hinnom. In Jeremiah's day, it was a place of idol worship where people would go and sacrifice their children to their gods. And so here God says, you're saying you're not polluted. Go look down in the valley. Go look in the valley of Hinnom. Later in Jeremiah, in Jeremiah chapter 7, the Lord will call it the valley of slaughter because they sacrificed so many children in that valley. And yet the people are saying, we're not polluted. We haven't done anything wrong. They're killing their children, but they don't see it as wrong in their culture and in their society. He goes on in verse 23 in the last part of it. He says, you are a swift dromedary breaking loose in her ways. 
a wild donkey used to the wilderness that sniffs at the wind in her desire in her time of mating. Who can turn her away? All those who seek her will not weary themselves. In her month, they will find her. We'll return to today's edition of Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton in a moment. But first, Pastor Dan would like to extend a special invitation to our listeners. If you've enjoyed the messages on Ring of Truth, I'd like to personally invite you to join us this Sunday at Calvary Chapel. We're located in Columbia, Maryland, just five minutes from Routes 29, 95, and 100. I'd love for you to come be part of our time of worship and Bible study this weekend at 9 or 11 a.m. I always enjoy meeting listeners of Ring of Truth, so please be sure to introduce yourself to me after church. To find out more information and to get directions, visit our website at calvaryec.com. Thanks, Pastor Dan. That website again is calvaryec.com. We look forward to seeing you. Now, back to today's message. He describes, first of all, in verse 23, uh, he describes Israel as a swift dromedary or camel. Now, if you have a New Living Translation, it says a restless female camel desperately searching for a mate. And that's incorrect. I actually, I spent some time reading today about uh, the mating rituals of camels and donkeys. <laughs> that's how I spent my morning. Uh, but it was very fascinating. Female camels don't actually search for a mate. It's the male camel who searches for the female camel. Female camels do not search for a mate. What this is talking about, if you have an ESV, I think it probably gets it pretty close to right there. Uh, This is talking about a young female camel. And the emphasis is on the fact that it's young, not that it's a female, that it's young. Young camels are unreliable. They run off in every direction. They go back and forth all over the place. This article that I read uh, which was written by a man who, who was a scholar, lived in the Middle East. Uh, he studied this particular subject. He said in the article, a young camel never takes more than three steps in any one direction. He's talking about the unreliability of Israel here and comparing Israel to a young camel. They're going every direction. Any God that comes along, they're worshiping that God. Instead of walking the straight path and following the Lord Jehovah, they're going after all the different idols and all the different gods that they come upon. In other words, they were double-minded toward the Lord. And it talks about in the New Testament that a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. And that was Israel. That was Judah. Like a young camel just going every direction. So they were. And when it talks about now a wild donkey in the wilderness that sniffs at the wind in her desire. Now, a female donkey, unlike the female camel, a female donkey will chase after her mate. A female donkey will take off and you can't get it back. You just have to wait until the season's over for that camel to get, for that donkey to come back. If you remember in 1 Samuel chapter 9, remember Saul who became king of Israel? And it talks about in 1 Samuel chapter 9 that his father's donkeys all ran off, right? And Saul had to go search for his father's donkeys. And you read that and you think, well, why would donkeys run off? Don't they usually just stand there and graze? Well, not if it's mating season and not if they're in heat. If they're in heat, they take off and you can't get them back until the mating season is over. And so here 
what the Lord is saying in verse 24, uh, he says to them, you know, you're like a female donkey in heat. I mean, you just take off and there's no turning you back. You know, you're just going after these different idols and there's no way to get you to turn around and come back and repent. And that's why he says here in her time of mating, who can turn her away? All those who seek her will not weary themselves. They don't chase after their donkeys typically when they run off during the mating season because they know uh, in a month they'll find her. She'll come back. Verse 25 goes on to say, withhold your foot from being unshod and your throat from thirst. But you said there is no hope for I have loved aliens and after them I will go. As the thief is ashamed when he is found out, so is the house of Israel ashamed. They and their kings and their princes and their priests and their prophets. They're ashamed, just like a thief is ashamed of getting caught. But they're not repentant. Israel isn't repentant. They regret getting caught, but they aren't turning back to the Lord. There's a difference. There's a difference between, you know, regret and true repentance. Now he's going to talk about their idolatry in verse 27, saying to a tree, you are my father. (laughs) And to a stone, you gave birth to me. They're idols that they've carved out of wood, not of stone. For they have turned their back to me and not their face. They've turned their back on God. But in the time of their trouble, they will say, arise, save us. It's funny how in the time of their trouble, they're going to come back to God. Isn't that true? So many people, you know, they don't want anything to do with the Lord. But once they hit a crisis, they show up in church all of a sudden, right? There's some people, you don't see them for months. And then all of a sudden, they pop back in. You're like, something must be going on. Let me go talk to this person because they're in a crisis. That's why they're here. Some people are just that way. Verse 28 But where are your gods that you have made for yourselves? Let them arise. If they can save you in the time of your trouble, for according to the number of your cities are your gods, O Jew. You've got all these gods. Why don't you go to them in your time of trouble? Why don't you ask them to save you? They know that their gods can't save them. Why will you plead with me? You all have transgressed against me, says the Lord. In vain, I have chastened your children. They received no correction. You know, I've chastened them. But it was no use. They received no correction. Your sword has devoured your prophets. You've killed your own prophets. The messengers I've sent to you. Like a destroying lion. O generation, see the word of the Lord. Have I been a wilderness to Israel? Or a land of darkness? Why do my people say we are lords? We will come no more to you. People were saying we don't need God anymore. We don't need to go to him. Can a virgin forget her ornaments or bride her attire? Don't you remember your wedding day? You'll never forget your wedding day. Don't you remember how you were betrothed to me? Mount Sinai, after I brought you out of Egypt and I took you to Mount Sinai, we entered into this covenant together, this marriage, so to speak. Don't you remember our wedding day? Verse 33, why do you beautify your way to seek love? You know, again, he's describing Israel as an unfaithful wife uh, who is stepping out on her husband. And she makes herself beautiful to go out and find a guy. And he asks, why? Therefore, you have also taught the wicked women your ways. Also, on your skirts is found the blood of the lives of the poor and innocents. I have not found it by secret search. I haven't found it by digging for it. But plainly on all these things, they have 
mistreated the poor and the innocent and the nation. And they're not doing it in secret. They're doing it out in the open. They're not hiding their sin. There's no fear of the Lord in the nation anymore. It's out just in you know, plain sight. Yet you say, because I am innocent, surely his anger shall turn from me. I want you to note what the people were saying at that time and that culture. They are far from God and they are doing things that are wrong in God's sight. And yet they see themselves as innocent and they believe that God will not judge them for what they're doing. That's how far that culture had gone to the point where they're saying, you know, what God has said is wrong is actually right. And what is right is wrong. Everything is upside down in this culture in Jeremiah's day to the point now where they're saying, I don't think God will judge me for what I'm doing. I think I'm innocent in God's sight. You look at our culture today and you see that in our culture today. He goes on in verse 35 again. Yet you say, because I'm innocent, surely his anger shall turn from me. Behold, I will plead my case against you because you say I have not sinned. God says, I'm going to make my case against you because you think what you're doing is not sin. And it is. Why do you gad about so much to change your way? Also, you shall be ashamed of Egypt as you were ashamed of Assyria. Indeed, you will go forth from him with your hands on your head. They're going to go down to Egypt looking for help. And in Egypt, they're going to be conquered and they're going to be carried away as captives with their hands on their head, going away to Babylon. For the Lord has rejected your trusted allies and you will not prosper by them. And we're going to stop there. But if we had time, it continues on in chapter three. He's not just hammering them. And I want you to understand this. He's not just hammering them for abandoning him. He's not just hammering them for their sin. In chapter three, he's going to say, you are backsliding. You're backsliding. And then he's going to say to backsliding Israel, come back to me. Some of your translations say, come home to me. See, he's laying this out just as he says here uh, in verse 35. I will plead my case against you. I'm going to lay out my case against you. I'm doing this to show you that you're guilty so that I can call you back to me so that I can call you to repentance. And what does the Bible say? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all of our unrighteousness. That's what all of this is about. This is why he's laying down the law with them of what they're doing wrong so that they know so that they have the guilt of their sin, so that he can then call them back to repent, to come back to him, so that the relationship can be restored and they can be reconciled back together. He's a husband that wants his wife back. Even though she's been unfaithful to him, he wants her back. And he's going to plead with her to come back to him and be restored back to him. He asked me how I The book of Jeremiah entails many prophecies given to the people of Israel, but they weren't just commands of judgment and consequence. Within these pages, Jeremiah gives insight into the coming promises that Jesus would offer by coming and fulfilling a new covenant of redemption for all people. 
What's interesting is that Jeremiah poured his heart and soul out as he wrote this book. It wasn't just a dry dissertation of what people should do or what should come about. Jeremiah was a living and breathing person during the time of siege and exile, and he felt deeply for the people and nation he was a part of. His empathy for his kinsmen should resonate with you as you're part of a larger group of people in a nation and ultimately part of God's family. Is there a stirring within you to see those who are lost come to have a saving knowledge of Christ? If so, you might be able to relate to Jeremiah more than you thought. If you're enjoying this series through the book of Jeremiah and would like to hear more teachings, we encourage you to visit our website at calvaryec.com. In addition to listening to these teachings, you can access more information about the church behind this ministry. Calvary Chapel, Ellicott City. As a church, our heart is geared towards spreading the gospel message to all we come in contact with. And we welcome anyone to worship with us at our location in Columbia, Maryland. For service times and location, check out calvaryec.com. Thanks for joining us today. Next time, we'll continue looking at the book of Jeremiah here on Ring of Truth. I see the signs and I recognize them.